I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. We have a bonus episode for you this week dealing with the new ITF transition tour, mainly because after speaking with Tim Russell of the ITA, I was able to connect with Dave Miley, who is a 25-year veteran of the ITF. Dave was the executive director of development from 91 until 2015, and in that role was responsible for a lot of different areas, but most appropriate to this conversation, he was responsible for junior tennis. And during his time with the ITF, he traveled the world. He met with national associations. He led coaches workshops. He led junior training programs. He has been involved with the ITF's high performance programs. And He has just an incredible amount of experience. Now Dave is spending the majority of his time working with the Asian Tennis Federation and is also consulting part-time with the Universal Tennis Ratings, UTR. So Dave comes to this conversation not only with some very strong opinions about the transition tour, but with incredible experience in the tennis world, both from the ITF side and now from more of an outside view as someone who is leading a federation and working to continue to improve the sport as best he can. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode with Dave Miley. And if you have any questions on the transition tour, please, please, please feel free to email me, lisa at parentingaces.com. And I will be happy to forward them either to Tim Russell of the ITA or to Dave Miley of the Asian Tennis Federation. Before I start the conversation with Dave, I want to just apologize for the sound quality of this interview. I was testing out a new platform and with Dave coming from the UK, uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulties along the way. The sound quality isn't as good as I would have hoped, but I hope you can overlook that and just enjoy the content and the passion that Dave brings to the conversation. Dave Miley, welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. Thank you so much for joining us from Ireland. Well, I'm actually in London. I'm about three minutes from Wimbledon today, but it's very nice to be here. Thank you. (laughs) So we have been talking on Parenting Aces a lot about this new ITF transition tour. And a couple weeks ago, you published an article on your Dave Miley Tennis Facebook page that shared your thoughts on the transition tour. And I thought this would be a really nice opportunity for my listeners to have you dig a little deeper into what you think is going to be happening with this transition tour and specifically how it's going to impact juniors who might be on the cusp of turning pro versus playing some college tennis. And also those college players who are considering turning pro after a year, two, three, or even four years of playing at their schools? Okay, well, look, it's it's uh, this whole topic is very, very important, obviously, because there needs to be a transition, especially for the most talented junior players and players uh, trying to make the transition from junior or even collegiate tennis into professionals. So I know that the ITF, I mean, I worked at the ITF for 25 years, and it was interesting, I was involved in the early discussions back in 2013 
with the ATP and WTA because we're looking then at the big question, which is how do we make it easier for players to make a living? Because players, it was costing them $50,000 a year. They were losing to go and try to play the low-level, uh, um, the professional entry-level tournaments of the futures. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I know that a lot of research has been done on, on, on how to make this transition better. But the original idea was how can we help it that, that there's there's too many professional players out there or people calling them professionals and the people who are trying to make this transition. And it does take longer because it takes players maybe, you know, four or five years to get through to the top hundred. How do we make it so that they, they can, you know, the talented players don't drop out? And that was the big thing. So um, the idea was how, how could they, um, because we know that the guy ranked 700 or the woman ranked 700 in the world, they're not the 700th best player. There's probably 6,000 players in the world that are better, but those other players are not traveling and spending the $50,000 a year or they're in college tennis or they're, they're, playing, they're working and, and, and playing part-time. So I think this was a big moment in tennis where the ITF, the ATBWTA, could have looked at something different to try to uh, bring together a, a, a transition or a, an entry-level professional circuit that would be more... Um, inclusive of all of these different uh, people and make the transition easier and less expensive. And uh, so I, um, when I saw what the ITF was planning to do with the transition tour, I had some concerns. I was actually at the Australian Open and I, I talked to many of the top coaches who were traveling and even to some players who were traveling on the tour. And uh, the feeling was that this is, you know, there's some, well, let's just say it, it could have been put together better. And, and, just for an example, I, I think that if you want players to, to travel less, then probably you're better off doing some sort of regional circuits like a Pan American or an Asia Pacific and a Euro Africa tour. So players would play the tour within in a smaller region and not travel across the world. But with the current transition uh, tour proposals, it's pretty much what was there before. It's a global ranking. It's a global circuit. Uh, players will still, even though you say to them, try to play in the region, they're still going to travel all over the world. There's slightly less officiating costs, but that could have been done under the old system. And they don't have to organize three futures in a row, which you could have done anyway. But it's it's not much different other than the fact there's no ATP or WTA points with the uh, futures. And also the, the shocking news that the ATP are not going to give points to the $25,000 events is really, really a concern. So I think for the players, this is my big problem is that the players, and I remember I ran junior tennis for 17 years as director of development at the ITF, so I know junior tennis pretty well, is that I think for the players from what I call less developed tennis nations, the nations that don't hold challenger level tournaments or big ATP events, um, they're not going to get wild cards, so they're not going to be able to make a, a very easy transition. And at the moment, okay, on the women's side, it's kind of there are going to be places in the qualifying of the of the bigger events but in the men's they're still discussing how many spots there might be for players from the transition tour getting into um challengers in the qualifying of challengers so i i think it's going to make the transition much more difficult and the people i've talked to and i've had feedback from not just players and coaches but also from big federations that are have concerns about this so um so i hope i'm answering your question so for me i think how can you you know there's a lot of people left out of this system as well because you've got the collegiate players we know in the U.S. a lot of these college players are very, very good players. And probably the top 20 uh, collegiate players have an equivalent level to about a 400 or better ATP or WTA player. 
So they're not included in the transition tour. Neither are Bundesliga players or people playing prize money events in Spain, Switzerland, etc. And, you know, you, you could have done something to maybe make it easier and again come back to all the initial problems. The initial problems were people weren't, it was costing too much and people were having to travel too much. And there were too many professional players. So one of the ideas I had, I put forward was this, you know, you could have made the futures a 16 draw. And that would have meant that you could play the futures uh, in four days instead of uh, six days. And the players then, instead of 32 players splitting the, the prize money of 15,000, you would have had 16 players splitting the prize money. You would have reduced the number of players who are, are, get, are ranked by percent. And the players could have played four futures in a, in a month instead of, sorry, six futures instead of four. So you're actually tripling the prize money for the players that are good. And so anyway, there's a lot of different ways. That's one suggestion. But the point is that if you do all of this research to involve everybody, and then you come up with exactly what was there before, but no ATPW day points, I don't think that's very, very uh, positive thing for tennis. So if somebody came to you and said, I am a top ranked junior player, I am considering going to university to play college tennis in the U.S., but I'm also considering turning pro, and, and this player comes to you under this new transition tour setup, what would you say to them? Well, okay, I think there's a, in this area, there's a bit of a difference between the boys and the men and the women, okay? Because I think the men generally are breaking in a, a year and a half or two years later on average than, than the women. And so it does seem that there are a number of male players who play collegiate tennis who later on can break in, and Isner is a good example of that. There's less in, in the women's game. So, again, I, I don't, you know, it just this is my observation is will be that for, for the men, I think it's a very, very good um, – the collegiate system is a very good uh, pathway because if you're going to play professional tennis between the age of 18 and 23, and you're probably not going to break into the top 100 until at least 23, unless you're exceptionally talented. So if you're going to play that, it's going to cost you $50,000 a year. So that's 250000 And it's still going to cost that because you're still going to have to travel and, and the prize money hasn't increased. You can only play one $50,000 futures every week. Okay. So, for you know, for those players, eighteen, it's going to take them five years probably to break. Unless they're exceptionally talented, to break into the top hundred, so it's going to cost them fifty thousand a year. So that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars, approximately, play on the tour, and that's even if they're not traveling with a coach. If they travel with a coach, it's going to cost more. Whereas the route to go to U.S. college, to a good, really good university in the states, you're getting everything paid for. You can work physically. You can work, play a lot of matches. You can still come out during the summer and play futures and, and and some other tournaments to see how you do. And so it's, it's a pretty good route from a financial point of view. And the level in, in college tennis is very good. On, on the on the female side, I, I think it's going to become a much more uh, effective route because you know the stats, even in the fem female game, the players are breaking a little bit later. The players who are in the top 100 are staying longer because they're working harder on their physical conditioning, injury prevention, etc. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think if I was a parent who didn't have unlimited f uh, finance, now the, the top nations have a lot of funding, so they can afford to pay for their talented players to play for those four or five years. But for other countries, I think the collegiate route is, is still a pretty good route. And, uh, you know, you've got good coaching at these top universities, playing a lot of matches, work physically, and it's not costing you, you, you anything. Whereas on the tour, it's going to cost you a lot. So coming back to the – if I, I just feel that the, if you wanted to – change things positively for the tour, then 
for those players, there were too many people playing on the on the on the entry level circuit. I mean, there, some of the weeks there were eighteen or 20, 22 futures in the same week, but a player can only play one tournament. So the fact that there were loads of tournaments to help players were really good. So if you could have changed the system, and I gave the example of the sixteen draw, now those players that are good will win the prize money, and they will not be having to play so long, so they can play more of these events. And, you know, you had the chance with a very simple solution to triple the prize money for these players that are playing the, the futures and maybe getting into qualifying or challengers um, and keeping them on, on, on the tour and the same in the, in the female side. Um, so there were solutions to be done. And, and I think if you I've talked to even some people from some of the federations who run the tournaments and some of the officiating people and, and they don't they don't think it's going to work either. So I, I'm not sure who, who are all the people who who contributed to the to this whole thing. But maybe I don't have all the information. I don't want to sound like I, I know anything, but I'm looking at it and I've listened to everything. I've read everything. I've talked to – I actually talked to Andrew Moss from the ITF for an hour when I was in Cairo a couple of weeks ago after I wrote my article. And, and again, I haven't heard anything that makes me feel that more comfortable that this is going to work. Well, now, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are working as a consultant with UTR – do you think UTR can play a role in this transition tour? And if so, how do you see that role kind of unfolding? Yes, you're right. I'm working as a consultant for UTR, but I'm also working, I'm in charge of development for Asian Tennis Federation. So I'm out there and I'm working with a lot of the smaller nations and, and Asia, as you know, has incredibly good players breaking through both in the men and the women. And recently a boy from China won the US Open Junior Singles. So there's a lot of stuff happening there. Yeah, but look, I'm also I, the reason I got involved in UTR is because I think it can make a huge impact on world tennis, not just at the uh, performance level or at the top professional level, but also at the recreational level. And at the ITF, I was the person who created a thing called the International Tennis Number, the ITN, but it was done quite a long time ago before you had all the broadband and all the, the developments in, in, in internet, etc. So, um, so I've always been interested in rating systems, and I, I know that UTR is very sophisticated in its algorithms. It's very accurate, and, and the accuracy of it can be shown by the fact that U.S. collegiate coaches now give, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of scholarships based on UTR in preference to the junior ITF ranking because they know it includes ATP, junior ITF, Tennis Europe, and all the different results to give you a, a more accurate rating of the players. So your question, I want to answer it is yes, I think it could have an impact because, for example, already UTR inc includes ATP WTA, Junior ITF, some of the regional under-16 events, and also, as you know, the national results of Australia, uh, Great Britain, US, Canada, and about another three nations, and the collegiate uh, college results. So my role at, the, at UTR is to try to get more and more countries to provide their national results. No no, no personal details, just their national, their, their results, and by doing that, eventually, we can create what I think is a, is a really, truly accurate ranking system of performance players below the 300 ATP WTA, because you've got to accept they're, they're very accurate. But below that, I think there's a, there's a place for UTR, whereby UTR could in the future be the entry qualification for challenger level or the higher level WTA events into qualifying and upwards, because Eventually, if we can get other countries involved, it might include Bundesliga, it might include the Spanish prize money tournaments, the French, the, the Swiss, and, 
And you talk to the players, they play these events. The players rank four or 500 to make money. They'll play in the French, in the German Bundesliga. They'll play in, the, in these other prize money events to make money. So why not pull them all together? And then you have a truly, uh, you know, you'd still have the, the tournaments from the transition tour in there because you, they're $15,000 events, which are held in different countries. So you can still have any event, included, but you just have all of the results that uh, affect performance players, including in UTR, and the algorithms kick out who are the best players. So in terms of helping college players then transition into professional tennis, are you saying that instead of awarding these this point system as is currently being proposed by the ITF, that instead they use UTR to determine where a player would come into the professional rank after college? Yeah, well, not just after college, at, at, at any stage, after junior ITF as well. Because if you if you think about it, that let me give you the example of a, of a good junior ITF player, okay? A top 30 junior ITF player in the men and the boys and the girls. What they have to do is they have to play probably 15 to 20 junior ITF tournaments. At the same time, because they know their junior ranking is separate to their ATBWTA ranking, in order to be prepared when they finish juniors, they've got to play another 10 or 15 professional events. And neither helps the other ranking. So, uh, you know, sometimes a player will have a junior ITF ranking of 30 and an AT ranking or a WTA ranking of 350. But they're having to play different tournaments. They don't cross. And so then if you take a collegiate player playing all the collegiate matches and then during the – so they've got a collegiate ranking. And then they come out in the summer and they play some futures and maybe play, you know, get a walk on at a challenger and they do okay. So suddenly – they now have a collegiate ranking and they have an ATP ranking of, of 500, but neither is, has been combined. So what it's forcing players to do, especially at the junior level, they have to play more and maybe sometimes miss their education. Whereas if you have a, 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 a UTR, what UTR simply does, it recognizes any matches you play uh, that are included in UTR that are submitted to UTR. And that's so, yes, what I said is it, it's fairer because – then a player coming out of the collegiate system, you would know, and, and we know from UTR, they're approximately 13.8 on the UTR scale, which is the equivalent of about a, 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 a 300 uh, player ATP and WTA. So the players coming out of collegiate tennis, we know if they're ranked in the top 10 or so, they're probably the equivalent of, a, of a, an ATP 400 or better. And so uh, at the moment, they don't, when they finish in collegiate tennis, unless they've played separately the professional circuit they don't they'll have to start again whereas with utr it would combine all their collegiate results and also atp results or wta results that they play and then when they finish in college tennis they're good to go they've got a ranking of say 350 or 400 and they're in the system and the same way people in in other parts of the world are playing other uh, prize money tournaments or as i said earlier bundesliga or, or french uh, club tournaments etc which are are a good level they have players of a good level playing because those players don't make enough money on the tour so they do contracts with with the clubs to play uh, club tennis in europe right right so to just kind of sum up and and talk about where we're going with all of this has the itf now included you in any of this conversation and and where do you think this is all going to fall out um well you know when i when i did the article um that i wrote because i, I did raise some concerns with the itf in december and then when i after i was in australia i wrote, I wrote to them but 
you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to talk. And then I saw the press release. I wrote the article when I was on a plane coming back from Australia, from India. But out of courtesy, I, the day I posted the article, I sent it to the ITF president, Dave Haggerty, out of, out of courtesy, because I didn't want to do anything behind anybody's back. And I, you know, like I told you, I, I worked for the ITF 25 years. It's like my family. So I love the organization. It does a, so much good for tennis. Um, and then after that, Andrew, he asked me to speak to Andrew Moss. I spoke to Andrew for an hour. Um, but I didn't hear anything that, that changed the, the um, what, what I, what, what I, you know, all the points I made. Because uh, the things he says, well, now you don't have to hold three tournaments in a row. Well, you could have done that under the old system. Well, now the officiating costs are less. Well, you could have done that in the old system. So, no, I haven't been, other than that call, I'm happy to to um, chat to anybody. I know uh, Chris Dan, Jackie Nesbitt, these sort of people who are, who are working on it with Andrew. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I'd be happy to, 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 to be involved. But, look, I know that they've done a lot of these phone-ins. They've done free phone-ins to for players and coaches. But the problem is that... <laughs> If you go out to the tour, okay, if you go out, I was in Sharm el-Sheikh recently and there were 100 players playing futures down there, men and women in Egypt. And do you think they're going to go and phone in on a free call to give their view on the circuit of coaches out there? You have to get out there. You have to go out there and talk to the people and be actually at the events at the lowest levels and find out what's going on. And um, so that's what I think. I've had the advantage. I mean, look, I, I traveled to 140 countries in my time at the ITF. I was involved in juniors entry-level professional through the ITF's development program, including the various Grand Slam teams with players like Azarenka, Lina, all those players, Baghdadis, when they were very young. So I've seen this transition a lot for a long time. I agreed with the ITF that it needed changes, it needed improving, but it could have been better. And and I've had calls, like I said, from coaches who've all, you know, you've seen the posts on, on my Facebook page, I'm sure, and my uh, LinkedIn. Well, there's a lot of, from a lot of, coaches and federations saying they agree with what I, I, I posted. And, and so I think I just what a lot of people were thinking, but it's not clear because I don't think you should announce a tour when you don't even know how many players the ATP are giving places to the transition tour players into the, into the qualifying of the challenges. It's, you know, I just don't see how the ITF board can approve something when it's not actually clear what it is. Am I missing something? No, I don't think if you are, the rest of us are as well. I think all of us are pretty confused over how this is going to play out. And and like I said, during my conversation with Tim Russell, the ITA, I mean, the bottom line from that conversation is we don't know. We, we just simply don't know how this is going to impact our collegiate system here in the States. And and that's a frightening proposition. Yeah, but I think I think more a bigger story. Look, I, don't get me wrong. I think, that, look, I played college tennis. I don't know you know that. I played three years of college tennis in, in the States years ago. So I know the collegiate system pretty well. And a lot of friends of mine are, are collegiate coaches now. So, but look, the college system is one element. But for me, the bigger thing is there's 208 member nations of the ITF. And these guys, these nations own the ITF. And all of these nations are spending 30 million plus on futures all over the world. And suddenly these futures don't have any, any ATPWTA points. And the 25,000s, which, by the way, costs the countries 50 to run, they don't get any points in 2020. So these are the countries that are the shareholders of the ITF, and I don't think they're going to be better off. And the players from those countries, outside of the Grand Slams and the bigger nations that already hold big tournaments, I think they're going to be at a disadvantage because the bigger bigger countries they have the Grand Slams or the big ATP events and the wild cards and the challengers. They can help the juniors transition by giving them wild cards. It's 
The Marcus Bagdadis from Cyprus are those sort of players who are not going to have wild cards and they have to fight their way through this transition tour with the possibility of getting some places in a qualifying of a challenger if they're lucky and we don't know how many. And, and that, they're the ones who are going to be worse off. So I think that the, you know, it's okay. The collegiate guys are saying, oh, we're not happy with it. But I think the bigger picture is that I get the feeling from the reaction we've had is that a lot of federations out there who are concerned about the tournaments they run and also about their talented players, their transition, they're concerned. And that would be more uh, worrying, I think, for the ITF because I know from the ITF, I used to say in my department all the time, the nations own the ITF. The people working for the ITF work for the nations and they should do things that benefit the nations. That's the, that's the, that's the bottom line. And I don't think this, and I think a lot of people agree with me, it's, it's, it's not doing anything different. In fact, it's not making it better. And after all the money they spend on the research and putting it together, I come back to my, my premise, which is it's exactly what was there before. Global ranking, global circuit, $15,000 events, 32 draw. No, the only difference, no ATP points, no WHA points, and slightly less officiators. Well, I am hopeful that by having people like you speak out and share your vast knowledge and experience that maybe the ITF will go back to the drawing board and, and make the necessary tweaks to really effect some, some good positive change for our sport and, uh, I thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts with our audience. And, and Dave, I hope if things change or you hear anything that you feel like the Parenting Aces community needs to know about, please reach out and I'd love to have you on again. No, no, look, I'm very grateful to be on. But remember, I'm working with Asian tennis as well. So this is this affects the 48 countries of Asia. So that's my, I'm not just, you know, I, I love the ITF organization, I said earlier, but I feel this is going to impact a lot on on the the stuff that I'm working on, and and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm appreciate that you're you're bringing it to people's attention, and hopefully with everybody getting involved, players, coaches with experience, and ITF people, they can just make something that will actually improve the situation. That's what I'd like to see. Well, I hope you're right, and again, thank you so much for being on. And no, it's a pleasure. Great. And to my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.